Hello everyone, uh, welcome back to our online sermon here at St Mark's this week. My name's Andrew Bowles, I'm the Senior Minister of St Mark's. It's great to be with you. Uh, you might know that this month I'm recording my sermons ahead of time because we're just taking a break from live streaming during the middle of winter and we'll be back next month doing that uh, in our services. So look forward to seeing you again then. Today we're continuing uh, our series uh, on the topic of rest in the Bible. I'm going to read to you our Bible reading for today, which is from Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. As we spend time on this Bible passage today, um, I'd encourage you to have a Bible with you or a Bible app open on your phone perhaps so that you can follow along with the text as we talk and refer to some of the passages that we might look at together. Uh, last week, as I said, we started our series on the theme of rest in the Bible. And I pointed out that the creation story in the book of Genesis establishes that rest is one of the most powerful metaphors or symbols that we have for the presence of God in our world. And in this story, we read that God created the world and then he rests in it and has invited us to join him in that rest. So because human beings were made to be like God and to experience his presence and to be like him in our life, working and resting in a perfect life of meaning and balance. And so when we rest, when we truly rest, that is an experience for us of the presence of God. But also, according to Genesis, unfortunately, what we have lost when we have lost our natural connection to God through our embrace of a sinful life is that we have lost the ability to rest. And so this story teaches us that the problems of our lives, our problems of our relationship to God and that we all experience are actually tangled up with the issue of rest and our failure to be able to rest. And so part of the solution overall to our spiritual problems as humans is we'll be grappling with the problem of rest. And that's why we're doing this series. I'd like to highlight this issue for us and help us to think about it in a fresh way. One of our challenges as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, is to grapple with what does it mean for us to rest? What does it mean to be ourselves and to be with God in rest and work? Well, as we saw last week uh, when we looked at Genesis in chapter 3, after the story of the rebellion of human beings against God, we read that human beings are subjected to what we could call the curse of work, which is the inability to rest anymore. And the curse of work and its various facets, at least three of them, is the point of the next three sermons that we're going to have in this series. Because the problem of rest, fundamentally, is not just about you know, how much sleep we get at night. It's actually, we can find, is a complex set of issues that actually take up the whole story of the Bible um, as God addresses them with his people. And I think this is what we often find when we start to talk about rest or think about it in our lives, that we immediately need to begin to wrestle with the complexity of this issue. You know, everyone agree, I think, that resting more, giving more time to personal and spiritual development is a good idea. And it would be nice, but we know we have to work, we have to do so many things, 
And we have so many things that stop us resting. You know, for instance, how do you rest when you have a family that needs to be cared for? And I agree, this is my experience. You know, I work full time, we have two children, and it is a hard thing. And when I look at it, I realise it's not actually just a simple problem of deciding to do less or resting more. There's much more to it than that. So let's ask, why is it so hard for us to rest? And I believe that the curse of work that the Bible describes has three facets that we should understand. Now, the first is directly addressed in the first chapters of Genesis. And I think it is the curse that pertains to the earth or the land in which we live. And in practice, this means that we do grapple with the sheer fact that we need to work very hard so that we will be able to eat. In Genesis chapter 3, 17 to 19, it says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, Until you will eat your food until you return to the ground. The fact is, the way the world is, it requires labour or toil for us to get from the earth what it is that we need to survive. This is not an ideal, restful situation of the kind that is symbolised by the Garden of Eden in chapter 2 of Genesis, where there is such abundance that no hard toil is required. There's a bare minimum of effort and work that human beings can't actually get around, and if we don't put that in, we just don't eat, we don't live. Researchers have observed that in what we call hunter-gatherer societies, where people just eat the food that's naturally available to them in the local area without cultivating it or doing a lot of extra work, um, they still take some about 20 hours a week just to get their basic needs met in that way. It's the physical nature of the universe that stops us from being able to rest whenever we want and to the amount that we want. Though, of course, 20 hours work a week sounds quite restful. Uh, to those among us who work three or four times that much in order uh, to get what we need to live, to pay the bills. Because of this reality, uh, people have often fantasised about what we could, could call a post-work society, where technology has advanced to the extent where there's no need for human beings to really work because everything is done for us by machines. I risk cultural irrelevance, but I'm going to use this example of The Jetsons, which was a great cartoon show from the 1960s and was always showing in reruns on TV when I was a boy. And The Jetsons was a comic cartoon. It was based on the idea of a sci-fi post-work future and what a family would be like in that kind of society. So uh, it looks at The Jetsons. And um, George Jetson is the breadwinner of the family, but his only job is to go into a factory each day and push one button, once a day. Um, and the family has a robot maid and all sorts of gadgets that do all the tasks of daily life for them. Now, it's not realistic science fiction, but it is the kind of fantasy that we have, a world without work, where you can rest as much as you desire. In the 1960s, many people, I think, would have believed that the Jetsons' future was something that might realistically happen. But of course, we know it's not because it wasn't based on the real physical world and its limitations that we live in. So the first problem of rest, the curse of work, is the problem of the earth and its abundance. We can't rest because if we do, we won't be able to live. And this is the first problem. And in the Bible, it's the final problem that will be dealt with. So that's the first one. Following on from that is the second problem of work, which is the way in which our societies have responded to the first problem, particularly by creating economic systems where some people are made to do all the toil and the labour and others don't and benefit from it. 
Um, in summary, this is a problem that we might call slavery or economic oppression. So the thing is we can't rest often because we're not allowed to do so by those who have power over us or because we participate willingly or unwillingly in a system of slavery. This is another topic which is very prominent in the Bible, and that's the topic that Exodus 20 will bring to us today. So we'll look at that in a moment. But the final problem of rest, the third one, the curse of work, is within actually our own hearts. At some level, it seems that human beings don't actually want to rest because we know that this is where we will meet God and we want other things to satisfy us. So we don't want that encounter. So we often can't or don't rest because we are pursuing other things apart from God and we don't want his rest. And that's the issue that we'll look at next week in our reading. So you can see that, yes, it's not easy to rest because there are actually a number of formidable opponents to human beings in our rest, the possibility of resting. The curse of work is enforced by the creation around us, by other people in our society and by ourselves in ourselves and the work that we do to satisfy our wants. So, of course, it's hard to rest. And to get back, as we want to do, hopefully, to the rest of God means grappling with these problems, both on our own and together. And one by one, the Bible will teach us, is they are to be overcome in our society, in our hearts, and then in creation itself. And this is actually one way of looking at the gospel or the good news of Jesus and what it was that he came to achieve. Jesus came to set people free from slavery, to allow them to rest in God again. So today, as we look at Exodus, I'm looking at this problem of the economic and political systems that we have that prevent rest, what we call the problem of slavery. The Bible is intensely concerned with this problem, as I said. This is why the Bible is actually such a political book, even though that may make many people uncomfortable to consider that. Often we want the Bible to be spiritual but not affect our politics. But we need to remember that the Bible that we have was largely written by former slaves or people who are members of a nation that had been enslaved quite a number of times. For instance, there's a lengthy discussion in 1 Samuel about the desire of the tribes of Israel to have a king to rule over them. And Samuel warned them that if they took that step, they will be enslaving themselves to this king. There's many discussions like this. Because of that, there are politics in the Bible that are not necessarily popular even today, even in countries that would call themselves Christian. And so this is where we pick up our reading this morning from the book of Exodus with the commandment about keeping the Sabbath from the Ten Commandments. Now, those of you who might be familiar with the Bible will probably also be familiar with the Sabbath command. And so the law of God given to Moses was that God's people were to stop work for one day each week to rest and to spend time in worship and celebration. Everyone was to do this with no exceptions. And that was the Sabbath. Now, we're generally familiar with this idea, I think, because it's actually been part of our civilization for thousands of years. And in fact, the Sabbath principle was somewhat honored quite strictly in Australia up until quite recently. Only in the last couple of decades has it really been abandoned. It used to be that on Sunday, nothing was open and there wasn't much you could do apart from going to church or spending time with your family. Uh, of course, now we can shop, we can do everything normally on Sunday or most things. And most people are quite happy with this. Um, and I'm not arguing for or against Sunday trading. 
but the ban on it was related to the Sabbath principle. Um, the Sabbath, unfortunately, has acquired a, quite a negative reputation over the years for being quite a legalistic practice, something that stopped people from enjoying life and doing what they wanted or needed to do, from being productive, from being prosperous. Um, a few years ago, I was talking to a man at a previous church that I was working at who told me that um, when he was a boy living in Scotland, uh, where the Sabbath was kept very strictly at the time, the farmers in their church would have conversations at the church service that went along something like these lines. You know, uh, if it wasn't the Sabbath, I would offer to buy your new bull for £20. Oh, well, if it wasn't the Sabbath, I'd be inclined to sell it to you for maybe £30. Yes, well, if it wasn't the Sabbath, I'd accept that offer and arrange to pick your bull up on Tuesday. Well, if it wasn't the Sabbath, I'd shake your hand and make that a deal. Um, so you can see what, in this attitude, the Sabbath is a rules. It's a set of rules, you can get around it, and you should if you can. And that attitude to the Sabbath is understandable, but I think it's a shame because it undercuts the proper meaning of the commandment. The Sabbath command in the law of Moses is actually the cornerstone of a social reform that was designed to break the power of slavery over God's people and allow them to rest with him. The Israelites were led by uh, Moses on what we call the Exodus, which is a march of liberation out of slavery in Egypt. And the Bible states they were kept in slavery on the building projects of Egypt for over 400 years before they were set free. 400 years of slavery is 400 years of work with no day off, no freedom. Not one day of your own. No rest. But God says to them with this command, In my people, in the land you are going to, you will not be slaves. You will allow each other to rest, and that is the law. And so the Sabbath is an act of defiance to the structures of political and economic oppression from which the Israelites came. God's people will be a people of rest. There is more to their life than work and production. Now, I'm not an economist. I want to say I'm not sure about how the workings of industrial society can interact with the Sabbath, and that justice might apply to us today in a practical way. But the point as we understand this is that the laws and prophets of the Old Testament, the basis of our Christian understanding of how to live, take a very dim view of practices by wealthy and powerful people like Pharaoh to force other people to work and to work without rest. It is understood that this will damage their spiritual lives. And many of us know that reality from experience in our own interaction with work. Because the fact is, if we cannot rest from work, we cannot worship. If we cannot rest from work, we cannot worship. When Moses confronted Pharaoh initially about this, all that he asked was that the people of Israel be allowed to go out into the desert for a three-day holiday to have a religious festival. It says in Exodus 5, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. And then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. And then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. So originally the phrase, let my people go, which many people know, uh, was a request 
that God's people be allowed some time to worship and then come back to work. And of course, over time, it transformed then into the demand, let them go, set them free so they can worship him always. And we can understand then that the Sabbath command comes to people who have lived under this slavery in Egypt. God has set them free now and they can worship him and they will. The, the Sabbath then is not a legal imposition that restricts people's freedom. It is freedom that is brought by the law that protects people. And I think the point is that if we are the people of God today, we have to face too the struggle for the freedom to rest. Freedom from slavery, freedom to worship for ourselves and for other people. Because freedom from work is freedom to rest and freedom to worship God. This is a political issue, of course, and it's an economic issue, but it's also in the Bible a spiritual one. Because the ultimate perspective in the Bible is that this problem of slavery is not just driven by greedy human beings. It is driven by spiritual forces who desire to control human beings and to keep us in their captivity. The Apostle Paul calls them in Ephesians chapter 6, the rulers, authorities, the powers of the world and the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Again, in Colossians chapter 2, he calls them the elemental spiritual forces of the world. And the desire of these powers is to be the rulers of the world, and they are the energy behind the scenes that is driving systems that enslave people so that they cannot rest with God. But Paul rejoices in that letter of Colossians because he says, on the cross, by destroying the power of sin, Jesus has overcome these powers. And he says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so we know Jesus came with a message of liberation for oppressed and enslaved people. We read in his very first sermon in Luke chapter 4, where he quotes the prophet Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Hear it. That is a political and spiritual manifesto of freedom. Jesus is calling people out of the structures of this world and into the rest of God. The people he was talking to were poor. They were the descendants of slaves, and they were ruled at the time by a violent empire that was taxing them very heavily. And that is why people were worried about Jesus being a political revolutionary at the time. But the revolution that Jesus was bringing is not just an adjustment of the political or economic system. What he is saying is, it's a revolution in your heart and the hearts of our community. It is allowing people to change the ultimate rulers of their lives from the spiritual forces, the powers of the world and to being under the rule of God and his gentle rest. To rest with God then and to keep the Sabbath is to undergo an act of resistance to the elemental spirits of the world. And because God has in mind the creation of a world where people are able to rest because the power of slavery has been broken. So we must know that for Christian disciples, this is a political dimension to the problem of rest and one that we can't ignore. There are, you know, still millions of literal slaves in the world today. And there are many people who are so bowed down by work and its demands that they cannot rest and they cannot worship because they do not have the time. This should be a matter of concern for Christian people, those who wield power and influence in the world. 
everything that we can do while following Jesus to lighten the load of others in that regard is a step towards the rest of God. And so what I'm suggesting today, as we think on this passage, is that we reflect on our own relationship to slavery in the world, whether we are under it, which we may be, or whether we are part of its power over other people, which we may be as well. And we probably are, since we live in one of the wealthiest countries in the world. We may be in a slavery ourselves in a way that is quite comfortable and subtle, but nonetheless, the test is, if we cannot rest and we cannot worship, then we are slaves. Now, there's obviously a lot to explore there, but the bottom line is, as I said, if we can't find rest, if we find that we cannot stop because of the demands that work makes of us, perhaps, like the ancient Israelites, it is time for us to cry out to God for his liberation and to embrace the rest of Jesus again. At the beginning of Exodus, we read this. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham with Isaac and with Jacob, and God looked on the Israelites and was concerned with them. God wants to set us free, and he wants us to set others free as well. But do we want to be free? Do we want to rest? That's the test of our hearts, and that's our subject for the coming week. As we reflect on this today, let me pray. Lord, the God of rest, the God of freedom, we ask that in your mercy you would empower us to set each other free from the chains of slavery, to allow each other to rest, to worship and to come to you. Give us courage, give us patience, give us everything we need to live as free people under your rule. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.